morning, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, Letha was talking about her dad and how she learned from him what it means to have a real protector, and today, one of the things we're going to find out is that God protects His children. Let's, um, let's take a look at this. Recently, I wrote in an online post that gospel means good news. And there is no bad news in the good news. A reader responded, well, what about 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18? God warns us not to defile our temple or he will destroy us. That's not good news. And this is for all Christians. So I thought this morning I'd talk a little bit about that. And here's the text of those three verses. 16, 17, 18. Now we'll go through the whole chapter in the course of today, but I'll just read these three because they were pertinent to that comment. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. At first glance, this is a very odd passage. We know that God is love, and yet here it almost sounds like he will destroy his children. Some have used this passage to teach that suicide is unforgivable and results in damnation. What are we to make of this? Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 3 and see if maybe we can gain some clarity. Paul has written this letter to the assembly at Corinth to address a few problems they were having and to teach a number of spiritual concepts. The Corinthians lived in a very pagan society. And by and large, they were new to the gospel and new to faith in Christ. I mean, in truth, at this time in history, everybody was pretty new to the gospel and new to faith in Christ. But for the Corinthians, it was a huge shift from where they had been with regard to their faith and their religious belief. 1 Corinthians 3 begins this way, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto, or up to this point, you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are still carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? The people in the assembly at Corinth were arguing over silly things. They were putting one member over another based on things like who brought them the gospel. They were envious of one another, and this was causing strife and division in the assembly of the believers. Many of us can identify with this. There's infighting, division, unrest, and one-upsmanship going on in the carnal or fleshly world all the time. Sometimes we see it in the assembly of believers as well. 
Paul says that this is evidence of a lack of spiritual maturity and begins to point out that Father is no respecter of persons and that each has a role, but none is better than the other. Now picking up at verse 5, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, you are God's building. Each person in the body of Christ, each believer, each member of the assembly has a place and a purpose. Later in chapter 12 of this same letter, Paul expounds on this idea by pointing out that every part is different, yet every part is important. We've talked about that passage before. There are many, many parts in the body, and the eye can't say to the foot, you know, or the foot can't say to the elbow, and each part's important. Every part has its role to play. None is more or less than the other. Now let's read verses 10 and 11. I'm sorry, back, let me back up. I got ahead of myself. So each part is different, yet each part is important. So while Paul and Apollos are both doing what they can do, neither of them is actually producing the increase. That's God's job. And He is responsible for the care of His children. And the assembly is built up by Him into a temple not made with hands. It says in that passage in verse 9, we are laborers together, talking about Paul and Apollos, but you are God's husbandry. We know what that means around here, don't we? Because a lot of us raise animals. We know about animal husbandry. Animal husbandry means we take care of them. We're their protectors. We're the ones who, who give them their daily food. We're the ones who keep them safe from all the predators. We're the ones who house them. We care for them. We husband them. We take care of them when they're ill. We help them deliver babies. We do all kinds of things for them. And we are God's husbandry. We are God's building. Now let's read verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For, for, another, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. These two verses get to the heart of the problem being faced by the Corinthians. It's a very serious matter because it involves basing one's faith on someone other than Christ. Only Jesus is the unshakable foundation of faith. 
Everyone else is incapable of providing righteousness, and therefore trust in them is misplaced and dangerous. As we will see, such, such misplaced trust will not end well. Paul goes on in verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, this is the one laid by Paul, which is Jesus Christ, we just read, right? So if anyone builds on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. In the end, whatever building has been done will be shown for what it is. If, by pointing to Jesus and encouraging faith in him alone for righteousness, one has built with gold, silver, and precious stones, one has built spiritually by faith in acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit as the source, the work will live on. Those who have been saved and those who have been matured through that work will be together with those who were ministers to them of the good news of Jesus. Both will share in the inheritance of the saints. Both will be together with the Lord, sharing eternal life. That's how the work lives on. It's spiritual work done through the power of the Spirit. It doesn't have to do with people building things. But if by pointing to a particular person, person, by encouraging faith in fleshly things, one has built with wood, hay, and stubble in a fleshly way, by sight, by senses, seeing the person or the process as the source, the work will be burned up. That work counts for nothing in eternity because it is the work of people and not the work of the Holy Spirit. We see that modeled throughout Scripture over and over in many ways. It starts in Genesis with Cain and Abel. One brings the fruit that he raised and created himself and the other brings meat that God created and provided. We see it with, with um, Joseph and uh, and the and this this dream that was had by the by the leader of the country and in the dream the the uh, I'm sorry the dream was had by these two guys in prison one guy was the baker and one guy was the the wine taster and the the two of them were thrown into prison and they had a dream and, and in one case the man lives and in the other case the man dies the one who lived was the one who was the wine taster. Wine is the fruit of the vine. It comes from God. The other one was the baker who created things with his own hands. We see that modeled throughout Scripture, this idea that the works that we do count for nothing, but the works that we 
that the Spirit does through us, that God does through us and by us, that's what counts. Jesus had an interaction with the disciples that underscores this. In Matthew 16, 13-18, we find this. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea, Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you're John the Baptist, and some Elijah, uh, or, yeah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is the only foundation. Upon the truth that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the entire body of Christ, the worldwide assembly we often call the church, is built. God will allow no one to prevail against that as we are about to see. Now let's read the verses that sometimes cause confusion and doubt. 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye? English is a wonderfully expressive language. But sometimes it has limitations. For example, if I'm in a group of people, and I say, You're invited to supper at my house tonight. I have to be very careful to differentiate whether by you I mean the individual with whom I'm making eye contact or everyone in the group. In the southern United States we have a special word that has been created to refer to the entire group. And that word is y'all. If I say, y'all are invited to my house for supper tonight, I better have a lot of food on hand because I'm inviting the entire group. In verse 16, you find the word you or ye three times. And in this verse, you or ye is in the plural. Do you see the problem here with English? Because the word you in English or ye, doesn't really differentiate between singular or plural. But here in the Greek, it's plural. If we were saying this today in the South, we might say, don't y'all know that y'all are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit of God lives in y'all? That's what Paul was saying to the assembly. Then in verse 17, you or ye occurs once, and it's plural there as well. Verse 17 also contains two other words that are interesting, defile and destroy in the King James. Most translations other than the King James render these both as destroy 
as with, and with good reason. In the Greek, the same word is used in both of these places. Defile and destroy. The underlying Greek is the same word. The word means corrupt, defile, destroy, or ruin. So Paul is, in my opinion, a little upset here. I think he's telling the Corinthians that they need to stop all this infighting over which teacher is best and over any other thing that causes division, doubt, and damage to the assembly. Further, he says that if anyone does corrupt, defile, destroy, or ruin the assembly, that person would be in serious trouble with God. The reason is that the assembly, which is made up of its members, is holy, and the Holy Spirit lives in the holy members of the assembly. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows about husbandry. He cares for his flock. God the Father is a good father who cares for his children. In Mark 9.42 we read that, Whosoever shall offend or cause to stumble one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and he were cast into the sea. That's protection. Paul goes on to clarify that all this bickering is not proving that anyone is wise. In fact, the entire Christian life is not about wisdom or credentials or giftedness. Rather, one is better to simply admit at the outset that they are nothing more than a fool when it comes to the things of God. Let's have a look at this part of the chapter. We'll begin now at verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ, Christ is God's. 1 Corinthians 1, 5 through 2, 10, Paul discussed this in very clear terms. And I'm going to highlight only a few verses here, but to get all the details, you might read that entire passage. 1 Corinthians 1, 5 through 2, 10. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 21 is what I'll read here. For pre- the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? That's the 
you know, the, the people who, who argue back and forth a position Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The Jews wanted a sign and the Gentiles wanted to be able to reason their way to righteousness. Here, however, we're told that in Father's wisdom... The world could not know him by using their wisdom. I can tell you that when I'm studying a passage like this, my limitations become very clear to me. I often struggle to know whether to write on some passages at all. I, for one, am very glad to know that instead... Father has chosen that through the foolishness of preaching, the people who will believe will be saved. The good news for us today is that each of us who are in Christ are the dwelling place of the almighty and all-loving God. He lives in us. Listen to Ephesians 2, 19-22. Now, therefore... You are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom, in Jesus Christ, all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Do you see that? You are God's home. You are the building, the temple in which He lives. Built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and nothing else. So God is not going to somehow come and destroy you or ruin you. That is reserved for those who would come into the... <laughs> there, are, there are fawns playing in the lawn back here. <laughs> uh, that is reserved for those who would come into, a, into an assembly and, and tear it apart and break it apart and, and hurt it and damage it. <laughs> they're having a blast they're running all over the place they're having a blast um, <laughs> uh, thanks father that was awesome um, so <laughs> um, <laughs> I have no idea what I was talking about anyway it's just great because what's what's going on here is father is protecting the assembly <laughs> oh my goodness they will not quit there's two of them just chasing each other all over the place <laughs> uh, anybody who wants to get up and look out that window is welcome <laughs> that's too good to miss <laughs> this is the mystery of the gospel Christ in you the hope of glory 
Gospel means good news, and there is no bad news in the good news. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for these little fawns that are running outside to remind us that it's not all about seriousness and, uh, and uh, rule-keeping, but that rather it's about enjoyment, that, that, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Father, we, we thank you for that, and we thank you for these two fawns that have showed us what joy looks like. We pray you'd continue to allow us to ponder these passages this week and to come to conclusions that that you have given to us in the Spirit. We ask that uh, your truth would come ringing through despite the rough presentation and the difficulty of, of trying to communicate some of these concepts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.